Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankis, Professor and Director of the School. In this episode, Dr. Nicole Cook, the Baker Chair at South Carolina, and I have a conversation with Tamara King, the Director of Community Relations for the Richland Public Library. It kicks off our look at the changing nature of community engagement in a time of the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and an economic recession. I can't think of anyone better to start us off than Tamara. In 2019, she was named a mover and shaker. She combines her background in public relations with a passion for libraries to truly engage the community. In this interview, she covers the Let's Talk program that has attracted hundreds of county residents to have hard, serious conversations about race. She talks about the importance of not waffling in supporting community efforts that are right and based on the values of the library. She also talks about the importance of getting the whole library staff on the same page and how the word no is an opportunity for innovation. Tamara, thank you so much for taking the time today. We really appreciate it. Um, what we're trying to explore um, these next couple of months is really looking at what is the role of community community outreach in a time of, let's just say, a unique history, really. Um, as, as we're conceptualizing it, there's a, lots of issues, but we're looking primarily about the pandemic. Um, we're thinking about how that has led to economic challenges for our communities as well as our institutions. And obviously we're looking at sort of the racial awakening and protests, Black Lives Matter and such, and that all of these things are sort of happening simultaneously. Okay. Community is, is a sort of interesting buzzword. Sometimes it means one thing, sometimes it means marketing, sometimes it means public programming. Can you talk a little bit as the community relations director for Richland County Library, how do you and or the library define community in that? I think there's it's a twofold kind of thing. Um, there's a community, the people that are right around us, right? Within uh, a stone's throw, we have libraries all over the county. And so we look at community there, but we also look at being a part of this larger community um, all over the nation, all over the world of libraries, really trying to help people access information. And that's our core function is creating this, this uh, community of information where everyone has access, equal access to, to the latest technology or trying to erase the digital divide. So I think community is this, this big word that has all of these little um, these little parts to it that make up the whole and, and the whole of what libraries are doing and, and what Richland Library continues to do. But one of our, you know, the main thing we always say is access freely. And uh, that's been our mantra, especially throughout this pandemic. How do we create opportunities for the community at large and within to access information freely? And, and how does that look today? Um, with the Richland Library, sort of what's what's your current status, and what would you say are some ways in which you're reaching out and engaging the community? You know, I look at libraries and the evolution of libraries. When I do presentations, I always show this, the evolution of the phone infographic, right? Because a phone was created for two people to talk, 
essentially, to communicate, this tool of communication. But over time, it's now a smartphone. But the, you know, it's, it's you can watch, you know, squirrels jet skiing on this thing. You can do all kinds of wonderful things on a phone. It allows you to be connected. It allows you to talk to someone. It allows you to put somebody on red. You know, it allows you to do Instagram. You can talk to who you want to talk to. But the mission of the phone is still the same. And I look at libraries the same way. When we initially were created, we were created to be this place of information for people to not just about books, but a place where people can access information and it be um, freely, hopefully, distributed to everyone, even though you used to have to pay uh, to go into a library before. But the whole core job was information. And so I think that is true of the library in this pandemic. Our goal was always to reach communities, right? And to always give communities the information that they're seeking, access to that information, um, whether it's to find a job, whether it is to get a high school diploma, whether it is just to find a really great book about beaches for your children, or about my daughter's in love with platypuses right now. I don't know why. (laughs) But that's what the library is for, right? Like we're for that opportunity to have access. And so I think that has not changed through this pandemic, how we do it, right? Like that is even with the phone, how we do it, how we use the phone is different, but the mode of the phone or the mission of the phone is still the same. So in libraries today and post quarantine or pre-quarantine, the goal will always be the same, to make sure that people that need us can find us in whatever way we can deliver those services. So I don't think our jobs have necessarily changed. How we do it has changed. And that has been um, a learning curve. We've been building the bicycle as we were riding it a lot of times. But we have had this, I think a lot of people are struggling or or meeting the challenge, I will say, of how do we still communicate to people? How do we still reach people in a way that is meaningful and important in a way that maybe you couldn't do before that you can do now? Like what do, I was thinking recently, like what do we keep from this post pandemic, post vaccine, post everything? What do we keep from what we learned throughout this process? I don't know the answer to that yet, but we're learning. <laughs> so don't ask me. <laughs> but I think we have learned that there's there are opportunities there that we may not have seen before. Yeah, it, it's I, one of the talking around to a lot of folks, one of the, the senses I get. So let me send this up and you, you tell me whether you think this is fair or not. That over the past decade, why not? that libraries have been really, particularly public libraries, but all libraries of all sorts have been pushing towards community. Once again, at very le- various levels of assessing them, thinking about them, serving them, how do we include them, you know, all this discussion, but it was all focused around the notion of community. Simultaneously, there's been this ongoing, probably, let's face it, for the last century about this this push in technology. How do we implement new technologies? How do we you know, go into social media, what do we do with our catalogs, etc. And I think what's interesting is the pandemic seems to have shown that those are actually parallel tracks, not the same track, because it seems to me that just like the first days when library physical facilities closed, the question was, well, you can come borrow our materials and you can come use our ebooks and you can come use these services, but all this stuff that we're, and I, well, I can't wait to get into that, that say Richland was doing around community engagement stopped temporarily. I mean, as you said, now we're figuring out. 
Is that a fair characterization? Um, I think we've been able to build those communities online. We have a ton of parents who now tune in for our virtual story times. Yeah, it's different. There's no doubt, right? So yes, I understand you're saying about these two parallel tracks, but technology has always been driven not so much by, um, technology has always been driven by not the change itself, right? Like we always think of technology as the change, but it always starts with a need. It always starts with the, how do you fill this need? How do you fill this hole in the community? So I think we've been doing that. I think the library, thankfully, we have really built the community. So when we shifted focus and when we uh, shifted what we could do or how we could access services, the community that surrounds us and the people that use us and our customers have shifted as well. So we can't offer meeting rooms, right? We can't offer a Let's Talk Race program um, in person, which was so important, but we can use Zoom and we can use breakout rooms inside of Zoom <laughs> to have those smaller conversations. It's not the same, you know, but it is it is still an opportunity to connect. So, uh, in fact, our program attendance has gone up 25% during quarantine. We're offering less programs, but we had more people. We were brave enough to do something that we've been talking about for a long time. And when I say we, I mean me. I've been begging <laughs> to do this for a long time. <laughs> um, but I, I really wanted to do a teletown hall. And that is an, this opportunity where people don't have to have a computer. They just have to use their phone. Um, and we've done three. We're about to do four. We've done everything from we did an all uh, Spanish speaking teletown hall, which was amazing. We had a smaller group of people. But when you think about that 60 or 70 people that may not have ever come to the library for a program um, that was all Spanish speaking because of whatever challenges, work challenges, not being able to get there, whatever the issue is, we've now created a pathway for them to do that. We've done one uh, for seniors, which was so amazing. We had over like 2,000 people on the call, um, which we could have never put 2,000 people in a building. <laughs> um, we did one for caregivers of small children and how do they get the information they need during a pandemic as far as school starting and foster care and things like that. We did one on that. We're doing another one coming up in September about um, census and voter participation and voter registration. So we've been able to do these really wonderful complex programs that we wouldn't have been able to do. Even getting Dr. Ibram Kendi to come and do, thank you Dr. Cook for moderating that discussion we probably couldn't have afforded him <laughs> if he had flown in, but being able to virtually bring him to the table, we had almost 300 people on the call. We've had people watch it afterwards. So that's something we couldn't have done before. So while I understand you're saying they're parallel, but we're still building a digital community, so to speak, or um, other opportunities, just like, you know, when you go to church now or, um, you know, we've been doing birthdays through Zoom. My family and I, we, we all sit around and have a piece of cake and a cupcake and we're all Zooming each other. So the community is still there because the community is strong. Just how we reach the community has changed. What's the topic of the Teletown Hall? I know when you talked about the, the seniors and you talked about Spanish speakers and you talked about parents, they're coming to talk about the library about and what mm -hmm. issues are they they you bringing around 
Sure. For Spanish speakers, we had we gave them an opportunity because what we found through community and through people calling us uh, that Spanish speaking families were having such a challenge trying to finish out the school year because they didn't understand the information that was being sent to them. Uh, so if you've got all this, I mean, a huge change, your children are now home, you were having to teach them. But if I don't speak English, it's all lost on me. So we had Spanish speaking um everyone from our library to, we had translators on the phone. We had people answering the phone who were translators. And we also had people from the school district. So that one was primarily about education. The seniors was, there was about senior resources and how we can reach the senior community in this pandemic. A lot of them were nervous about being able to answer the door, having people come see them. Can they go to a funeral? That was a huge question. Um, and so we had AARP, we had the Shurst Department, we had, um, at the time, um, Senior Resources was doing their senior feeding program uh, and their meal distribution program. And there were questions about that, how we wrap that up, the farmer's market, all those questions. So yet again, we were connecting the community to information. Um, and then the one about caregivers, that was mainly for people who, um, they call it kinship care, who are taking care of children who are not their own. And so our social workers put that one on. And we had like, I don't know, like 1,300, 1,400 people on that call. One of the, the questions with community is the, how do you know what the community is talking about or wants to, to know about? So, you know, when you mentioned um, Spanish speakers learning about schools or senior, where did the, those topics, how did you know that those were the topics, right? So, so the question is, a traditional let's send around a survey and hope someone answers it. I, you guys don't do that. You have a much more authentic way of assessing sort of information questions in the community. Can you talk a little bit about that assessment process? We've really done, um, I think, I'd like to say if it's a humble brag, I think we've done really good job in the last 10 years or so on doing um, what we call like customer journey and customer engagement and how do we um, find out what people need. And um, as far as Spanish speaking, we have someone who's on our team. She is the Latino uh, communications person. I don't know my Tay's full title. Forgive me. She just changed her title. But she's been doing Latino outreach for quite a while. And so we've been reaching them and having these large numbers uh, of people attend these programs that she's had off campus. She was doing um, tutoring for students and helping families. So she's had this direct connection. Our outreach has been really strong in that community. Not as strong as we want, don't get me wrong, but I think we've put together a real significant effort to try to make um, a two-way communication with folks. Uh, and so that came about because she said, hey, this is what the community needs. This is what I'm hearing. Um, seniors, that's been something I've been wanting to do for a while. Sometimes I think we always think everyone has a computer and can Zoom to get information they need. And so I've been wanting to address resources for seniors for quite a while because I felt like that was a need that needed to be filled and what I've been hearing in the community as well. Um, caregivers, yet again, our social workers were talking to people and they said, this is what we need. Um, and so we, we've been just really having our ear to the ground, I guess, um, and trying to, when I hear a no, I hear opportunity. <laughs> like when I hear that we don't do something or if I have to tell someone no, I'm like, well, why not? How do I stop? How do I create that barrier gone? How do I, you know, build, destroy that barrier and create opportunities for access? So I like no's. When I have to say no to someone, I'm like, oh, that's an opportunity. We don't have that yet. 
<laughs> we don't do that quite yet. Dr. Cook, I'm, I've been. You want to jump in here? I keep, you know, I'll yeah. ramble forever. So, <laughs> Tamara, thank you. Um, I wanted to just kind of circle back uh, to a comment that you made about now that we're dealing with the pandemic and and people isolating and not being able to gather in person as they used to. You mentioned a change in focus, right? But I would actually suggest that it was just a change in modality. Right. And so with the increased numbers with some of these programs, it could be someone like me who just doesn't get off of work in time to get to Maine to be able to attend a program or can't find a place to park or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But there's Number also happens. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we always talk about, you know, our community that actually comes into the building, but there's still the community that doesn't come into the building. So yeah. I think the flexibility and modality is really um, probably a, a blessing in disguise in terms of being able to reach some of these uh, communities that perhaps you you know weren't able to reach previously. So I just wanted to uh, kind yeah. of you know highlight that and raise that up. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, and this you know it doesn't have to be dependent on technology or you know online versus in-person programming, uh, but I wanted to ask you about let's talk about race uh, and the initiatives that Richland has to really have those hard conversations. And specifically, if you could address uh, what pushback are you getting, right? Because when we have these hard conversations, uh, we have, you know, just a wide array of people. You have people who are like, yeah, let's talk about this. And then you have people who may be in that kind of area about, well, I want to talk about this, but I don't know how. And then you have the category who, you know, sometimes are more vocal than the others. Uh, no, we shouldn't be talking about this. I don't want to have political conversations at the library, and this is not the library's place. And so you have this, you know, this, um, this spectrum of people um, that, you know, we all need to have this conversation uh, and have you know, talk on these topics, but it can be a delicate matter. So if you could just talk about, uh, you know, the initiatives, whether it's uh, the committees, let's talk about race and how you uh, engage with the community on these topics. The good thing is before, good and bad, right? Because four years ago we started Let's Talk and we were talking about social justice and women's rights and, and race and that was born after the Emanuel Nine shooting and Black Lives Matter first kind of popping up here in Richland County, right? Um, unfortunately, four years later, we're still having the same conversation and it's even deeper now and it's really a reckoning for the country and a reckoning for our state and our community. Um, but the good thing is we've been doing this for three years, so we weren't thrust into it. I can't imagine being a library right now who's not even begun the foundation and now you're being thrust into this really deep and complex issue, right? And how do you make the right decisions and how are you so sure in the decisions you make? I have this saying, uh, whenever we tackle something really challenging, uh, I look at the team and I said, look, if we're going to do it, then we're going to do it. This is not right. So professors, close your ears. If we're not, then we ain't. <laughs> Because I think that that's a confidence that you have to have when you know that you're doing the right thing. 
Um, perfect example, when we really decided to work with Pride this year, we'd done things in the past when, and when uh, South Carolina Pride came up, but we had not done as much as we went through this year. We put up window cleans that said, Brave the Rainbow. We uh, participated in helping train drag queens for their story time. There were all these things that we did. And I said, we are not gonna waffle. We, if we have decided that we are going to do this thing, we are going to do this thing. Because when people waffle, that is when you get into trouble, right? Because then you are doubting what you believe and what you have decided to do. And I think, that's what we've done with Let's Talk Race. We know in our hearts that we are doing the right thing. We know that affirming that the lives of our black colleagues, community members, friends, uh, commun you know, um, community leaders, all of those things are important. And we cannot waffle on that. Um, which I say often, is, are we neutral or are we necessary? And I would argue that the library is necessary in having that conversation. Where else can you go where it's unbiased, where people can sit in a room and talk about race? Where else can you go when I can have an 80-year-old woman who's a feminist, a black feminist from New York, and a Southern white male who is 80 years old as well <laughs> at a table and him tell us that he used to be a white supremacist and why he was and what he believed and what he still struggles to believe and what he really felt for three quarters of his life. Like this last 10 years, he's now trying to come to grips with the fact that everyone is equal. Where else can he do that? Yeah. Can't absolutely. do it, you know, you can't do it at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do it at the mall. You, you know, you can't really do it at school. Um, where else can you do that but at the library? So I really feel like we've been in this beautiful position right now. We're uh, maybe we're born for such a time as this. I've been saying a lot, too, because we're ready for this moment. We're ready to meet the moment. And so I would I would say that libraries really look at this as an opportunity to build this foundation, because unfortunately, racism, as much as we try is not going away anytime soon. It took you know, years and years and, and generations and centuries to create this system. It's going to take probably equally as long to dismantle it. We'll return to our interview with Tamara King in just a moment. But first, I need to thank the sponsor of this podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina, Tamara's alma mater. The school is dedicated to preparing librarians who make a positive impact in the communities they serve. If you're interested in becoming a librarian, join a nationally ranked program that prepares school, public, academic, and special librarians. Get your degree online from a program with over a quarter century of experience in innovating online instruction. The School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Now, let's get back to our interview. For those libraries and those systems who may just be coming to these conversations now, or for libraries who are open to these conversations and actually know how to have these conversations, but perhaps not everyone on the staff is on board. And perhaps, you know, we could have white supremacists on different library staffs. We don't know oh, that, sure. right? Yeah. But, it, but how do we, or I should say, how does Richland, how do you get around that? Or I guess if the question uh, more succinctly would be, what would be your suggestion to other libraries or other systems 
uh, who have not gotten to where Richland is and how can they train or prepare for that? I think it's a two-part answer to that, right? We've been really fortunate. Our library director, Melanie Huggins, is very committed to this work. So when your library director, your board of trustees, your friends and foundation members, everyone who's kind of driving the train uh, believes in the direction that you're going in, it's 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 lighter work. It's still hard work, don't get me wrong, because even if you're, you know, everything the executive director believes in, not all staff believe in it, right? So you're always going to have those people who don't agree. But, and it's good, I like having no's in the room, because what you are struggling with, I need to know because the community will struggle too. So I need to have an answer for that, or I've worked that out in my head, how we're going to address it. But I think, um, when libraries are meeting that challenge, especially if you have a library director who is not for it, I say start with a cupcake. Start with something really small. That's what we did at the library. We didn't start with the big wedding cake. We're now, we now have a big wedding cake. We're ready to, to really throw down this wedding reception, right? <laughs> but, but before, we just had to start with that small cupcake. So start with the program if it's just um, maybe having a display up in your library or having a book club where you tackle a book that may be a little challenging. Stamp from the Beginning is always a good book by Dr. Kendi to kind of really address racism in America and why we got where we are. Those are small things. And that's where we started. We started small. We started with um, Brian Stevenson coming uh, to, the, to Columbia and we partnered with Justice 360 and we did book clubs and Let's Talk about social justice in advance of him coming and now we're here and that was a small program that started by just a few staff members saying how does the library respond mm -hmm. so I say start small and then grow big mm -hmm. but you can't grow you can't start like huge <laughs> you can't say we're gonna have all staff employees come talk about race on Wednesday bring your pencils <laughs> you can't do that you have to kind of build up to it because people have to be brought along too. Uh, we had someone, one staff person who did not realize that what she was saying was triggering people when we did Let's Talk Race. So the whole room kind of turned on her, right? And I did not like that because that's not the environment that we were supposed to have. And so um, we made sure that the room, you know, did not turn on her too much, even though what she was saying in her mind, in her ears, perfectly fine. Everybody else's ears was triggering, like with a big T. <laughs> um, and she didn't get it. So it felt like everybody was beating up on her. After that, I took a step back and I sat down with her. We had like an hour long conversation. And now she's like, she gets it, right? And, and it's all because we talked. We didn't let it end there. I didn't let her end in a bad space. So I would recommend start small and have those conversations. If there's that one person that is just not getting it, sit down and talk to them and really try to get to the bottom of what they're not getting. And, See and, that from their perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm hearing conversations both, I mean, once again, community is one of those words that we tend to think of them. We serve the community, they're the community, they're out there. I won't even get into the word customer. Uh, <laughs> I understand it. And I understand Melanie's point of view. But but the other one is to see the library staff and the library itself as a community. And you must be equally observant and engaged. Is that is that what I'm hearing as well? 
Yes. Uh, you know, we started this externally and then we realized staff said, hey, wait a minute. You guys have been doing this work in the community, but what about us? Hmm. There's a lot to unpack here, too. And I think libraries as a whole, especially public libraries, have to grapple with their history and really have to be honest about when were we on the right side of right when the civil rights movement was happening? How many libraries weren't, especially in the South? How many libraries didn't let little black children get books? Uh, how many libraries have not been the most welcoming place for their black community or the people in the community that did not look like everyone that was being working there, you know? So we have to grapple with that truth. And I think staff saying to us, wait a minute, you got to get home right first before we really focus on external stuff. It was true. So we took a whole year and we did, we dug in deep. We didn't even do anything really for the community last year in 2019, but we really started working on staff changes. Um, and now I think the beautiful thing is that both now are like here. So uh, internal and external, we're all moving in the same direction. I hope. <laughs> I hope. But I, I feel we're going to do it. We're going to do it. If we're not, we ain't. So we're doing it. We're doing it. We're committed. We're ready. You'd, men you'd mentioned, I'm sorry, Nicole, go ahead. Oh, no, I just wanted to uh, just quickly piggyback uh, for the, the very concrete thinkers uh, that will be listening to us uh, and hearing our conversation. Are there any specific resources uh, that you might recommend for, as you say, getting the house in order, uh, and then, you know, how to actually have these conversations uh, with your community. Um, in some of the work uh, that I've done, uh, even with the conversation with Dr. Kendi and some of the conversations in class, um, it's about more than reading a book, right? So are there other uh, specific things um, that if another system that is brand new to all of this, they don't know where to start, where would you direct them? Three things. I know I'm always giving these two part, three part no, questions, works. answers to these questions. But one, um, Richmond Library right now is working because we knew that we were getting a lot of requests from everywhere from Canada to uh, Florida, to New York, to Ohio, like all these places wanting us to tell about the work we've been doing with Let's Talk Race, right? Because not everyone can pay to have someone train moderators like we have, because we are trained, the Let's Talk Race team, there's about 13 of us who are trained moderators um, and we get a yearly training. We update ourselves all the time on facilitation so we can have these courageous conversations. We also have the African American Cultural Event, sorry, African American History and Cultural Events Committee, the AAHCE. Uh, they work on events. They just had a discussion called um, "The Power of Protest," uh, talking about the importance of of protest over generations and time. And then we're going to have another one called "The Power of the Vote." So they work on events. We do discussions, um, and so I think the the real resource is what we're trying to do and what we're going to do in the next six months is create a curriculum uh, for libraries like you're talking about that don't have the money, don't have the resources. So that's going to be a resource for everybody. But those of you who cannot wait, I would try to find someone who's doing the work, a nonprofit, someone who is doing the work in the community 
and hopefully you can find a little bit of seed money. I had very small amount of seed money at the very beginning to get trained. I recommend getting your staff trained as much as you can. The Annie e. Casey Foundation does something with Race Forward that has toolkits and information and, and great this wealth of training that we used as well. They have videos um, that really helped us kind of shape our internal uh, work strategy. So um, we did get trained. We put a little bit of seed money in it. So I suggest you do the same because I cannot, it is not something you can just do. You have right. to be trained on facilitating conversations because it can get ugly yeah. and it can get beautiful too. Yes. It can be yes. both. Yes. <laughs> it can Thank be you. both. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Lankus. Well, and, and I think that, so putting our, my, our LIS hat on for a moment, looking at how we take some of those facilitation skills and making those core library skills that, you know, they may not get at the depth on given topics, but I think people coming out of library school need to realize that one of their prime, whether they're cataloging or whether they're, whatever their title is, facilitation is a core skill that they need, which is that how do you interact with individuals and how do you, how do you deal with, I mean, that's the other part that I'm, I'm very familiar with is when I go around and talk about communities at the center of your library, it can be a very uplifting, fun, wonderful conversation with great stories, many of which I, I, I point to you and, and the work that goes on at Richland. But our communities aren't homogenous, right? Part of, the, part of being, I imagine, the community director these days is how do we deal with the fact that communities have factions, communities have different agendas, and they don't necessarily coincide. How do you deal with the conflict side? And and once again, not so even if moving across from something like race, but even to the idea of, you know, what our budget oh, yeah. looks like. Oh, I think that is. Um, I think two, one thing. I think people get marketing confused with public relations. Totally okay. different. Totally different. Right? They're in the same family. <laughs> they live in the same house but they go work someplace totally different, <laughs> totally different. Um, marketing is selling. I am selling you this thing, this library. How can I get people to sign up? How can I get you to come to our program? All of those things. Public relations is genuinely, just genuinely working with the community and knowing what they need and being a part of that community and answer and relating to the public, right? Like that's that's a huge part of what I do. So while it's community relations, I really stress the relations part because um, I always say I do the ABCs. I um, advance our mission. I, I build a community, build relationships, and I communicate value because there are several people who say to me, I don't need the library. I use Amazon. I have Google. I don't need you. And that's fine. Of course, I want you to use us. But if you don't, that's fine, too. But I want you to know we're valuable. Because if we're not around, think of the gaping hole that the community feels. And you will feel eventually, too. If it's no more so than getting someone a job or helping someone get a job so that they don't come to your front door <laughs> looking for things uh, to help fill a need, if it's not so much as helping mothers and families that are struggling read or learn something new and help them help the community, helps the economy, all these things. We build resilient communities at libraries as well. So I think having that knowledge as I go out into the community, um, I've really worked and our office has worked on partnerships, 
where there hasn't been one before. I think to myself, who do we not reach? Then I find an organization that's doing that and I become their friend. <laughs> oh, I try. Uh, you know, Justice 360, we weren't really meeting the needs of people who were incarcerated before. We partnered with Justice 360. Our social workers now do, um, there's a grant to, not now, of course, during COVID, but we were doing life skills for people that are incarcerated. So I, I don't think of community always as like the major dollars or the government or uh, people who control our budget even though they're important too. <laughs> but I, I try to always um, build those bridges. So I, I encourage people who are going out into library world and really going forward into this field to find partnerships that wherever library you're at or wherever you are working, what are they not doing? Who are they not reaching? And that's how you start to build this really strong cohesion in your, your community. One of the the things I even when they don't like it, <laughs> yeah. or even when they don't see you're important. Well, you know, and one of the things, and and I will shut up and, and let Nicole finish up. But just one thing that strikes me is when you're dealing with, let's talk about race. When you're, de- um, I'm thinking about right now, as you had mentioned, several library directors and librarians are in are now in hot water because they supported Black Lives Matter and. So, you know, this idea of what is neutral and unbiased, you're not neutral and unbiased, right? You're making your when you're talking about let's talk about race, you're not saying because I really hope everyone comes to understand the wonders of white supremacy at the end of the day. Um, (laughs) And and so, (laughs) yeah, well, but I'm also thinking about the librarians who have gotten in trouble, uh, not picking on any one location, but nearby around drag queen story hours around um, you mentioned uh, Pride Week. It occurs to me that the only way that you can truly support that that community conversation is if you have all of these partnerships, not only the trust of your community, but the trust and track record with these organizations. So before the controversy hits, you've established a big relationship. So when that controversy hits, all of those organizations are willing to stand up and say, this is, this, this is what they should be doing. Is that a fair strategy. Very true. And I think diversity is extremely important. I know not all libraries have an opportunity to be as diverse as they need to be, not just racially diverse. I'm talking about age, sexuality, uh, gender roles, all of those things, like just be as diverse as possible. Because when we get together and we tackle something like let's talk race or drag queen story time, there's not just Tamara making these decisions. It's a huge room of people. Like it's administration it's it's uh marketing it's community relations it's you know people who deal with development and raising money we're all at this table kind of hammering out these issues so i think diversity is extremely important um and i also think it is really important for you to be open to the criticism that maybe you haven't reached someone in the right way and not take offense to that. It is a choice to be offended. And so try not to choose that. Um, Cause I think sometimes we get, you know, like when someone says, I didn't even know the library did that. I could go, what do you mean? <laughs> I spent all that money, it's a billboard <laughs> on top of your house. <laughs> what are you talking about? I could do that. Cause I do feel really strongly that we have communicated, right? But instead I say, okay, where do you live? How do you get your information? Because obviously I haven't done it. 
you know, I haven't reached you in that way. So I do strongly think diversity is important and don't get offended if someone calls you on something. Um, now, when it came to Drag Queen Storytime, we thought we were going to get hit too, like some of the other people in the state. And it was a big topic, even in the General Assembly with, you know, stopping library funding. And there was a lot of conversation about that. So we thought so, but I think we handled it in a way we didn't waffle. Mm. Interesting. And I, I strongly, if, if there's anyone out there thinking about doing PR, don't waffle. <laughs> Stay the course. Because if you're right, you're right. And you want to be on the right side of history. And I always said when we, I got more issue about the clings on the building than I did about Drag Queen Storytime. Hmm. There were petitions going around because we had the window clings that said Brave the Rainbow. And so my question was, so what you're saying is that as a library, we're not supposed to be a safe space for people? Because that's what you're saying. Right. Listen to what you're saying is that. So if I start to give in to you and if I take down the window clings because you've said it, I've waffled, right? And I've changed something that I know to be true and that I can stand on. We weren't going to do that. And Dr. we're not going to do about Black Lives Matter either. <laughs> we're not. I mean, you know. And I think it's important that libraries have to also say, like, I don't we don't support a policy or agendas, political agendas. That's not what we do. But it is no harm in at all in affirming the lives of people who use our services and that we go to work every day to help. Dr. Cook, any last thoughts or questions? Yes, aside from just throwing out an amen to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, at the iSchool, we talk a lot about community literacy and much of like what this conversation is about, um, community engagement. How do we get to know our communities? How do we best work with them, work for them? So for our aspiring information professionals, you know, say the folks that will want to apply to Richland uh, in the next couple of years, what is your, let's say, call to action to them? What type of information professional are you looking for? What skills and experiences should they be having right now uh, while they're with uh, Dr. Lankus and myself? Um, what is it, what kind of community information professional are you looking for? I think we're looking for people, especially in this time, people that can pivot, people who are comfortable with things not always being nailed down, uh, I think sometimes in library world, we attract people who like it this way, right? Yes. And and that's fine. We need yes. those people yes. who are like, we want it A, B, C, you know, and it goes that way until Z. But I think libraries nowadays are looking for people who can go to A and then Q and then possibly W and then T <laughs> and throw them all together and hopefully they spell a word, right? <laughs> so I think that's what you need to have. I, I remember my first day at Richland Library, I was going to go talk to these lawmakers and I had like my little mug that said Richland Library on it. And I was letting them know I was now at the library because I knew some of them and I didn't read the room and I didn't quite know that there was like a hot button issue that they were really upset about <laughs> when it came to the library. 
And so I was like, Melanie, you sent me in there and I had no idea. So I'm going on there, Sally Sunshine. And they were like, "Mm -mm, I don't want your mug. What I want to know is, (laughs) what I want to know is, why did, you know, why is the library doing this, this, and this, and this? And eventually we worked it out. But I also think that's extremely important. I wish I had taken the time to really research what I was going into. So I, I, I asked that, because um, I remember the first week I was at the library, I said, I thought this was supposed to be like a little quiet place where people <laughs> read books. Because, <laughs> you know, in school, they don't really teach you how to pivot. And they don't, I mean, no offense to the school. I'm sure you guys do now. But I did not <laughs> learn as much as, I, I did not learn as much then of how to pivot and how to change focus and how to research before you enter the fray. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that there was a lot happening. So, you know, if you're a librarian and you're going out there thinking, this is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna take my book to the community center and these kids are gonna love my book. And then you go and the community center is like, "Mm -mm." the last person that was here (laughs) didn't do what I needed her to do. And so no, take your books and And keep it pushing. <laughs> but, if, if, but you didn't know, right? So you go in there all happy. Now you're deflated. Yeah. Now you're thinking this isn't the position for me. Now you're thinking that my great ideas won't work. And that's not true. You just weren't prepared. Mm-hmm. You you hadn't done the research. You hadn't studied the tea leaves. You hadn't read the room. Um, and so I would tell everyone out there that is thinking of doing this field, that you're not going to know everything when you walk out the door. When you graduate, you can't even, it can't prepare you mm-hmm. for a lot of things, but you can prepare yourself. Yes, you guys did a wonderful job preparing me for being a librarian, but there are other things that bubble up in the community that you have to learn to pivot and you have to learn to research and you have to really dig deep and before and not get discouraged. So the, the program- if three people show up to your program doesn't mean don't do the program again. Yes. It means change the focus a little bit or change who you marketed to or just means to pivot, right? Change it a little bit. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> don't be so sunshine. The program <laughs> gave you a foundation. Yes, yes. Yeah, Our first so Let's you, Talk you Race have- program, we had like 20 people maybe. Um, and then we've gone up to, gosh, I, mean, I think the highest we've probably had is 400 when we did our entire staff. But uh, the kindy event was 200. Um, the power of the protest the other night was 150. I mean, in person, we probably had about 90 citizens do it. Hmm. And that's a lot. That's a lot of people in a room to manage and a lot of voices and energy and all that stuff. So keep going. Keep going. So the the program provides the foundation, and if I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying, uh, is having resilience and having essentially some intellectual humility. Yeah. Uh, so you know that you need to have that growth mindset, and you're always learning and growing in this profession, just as we would like our patrons and our students to do. And no one dies if it goes badly. Right. Like all you can say is that was a mistake. Oh, well, I won't do that again. 
And at the library, we always say, yes, we made a mistake because that means that I have this opportunity to learn. And our learning engagement folks make us say that every time. Sometimes I don't feel like saying it because my mistake, I'm like, oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> you know, but you're supposed to be like, yes, we made a mistake. <laughs> so take that with you. Take that with you. Yes, you made a mistake, but no one died. You're not working at the hospital. <laughs> Duly noted. Yes, thank you. Working at a hospital, you make a mistake. People die. It's a library. <laughs> it's good. It's very valuable. Don't get me wrong, but nobody will die. It's fine. Take a chance. Mm -hmm. Even if it sounds wackadoodle, if it's totally crazy, do it anyway. <laughs> the worst that can happen is you'll attend and you'll think it's awesome. <laughs> I learned a lot. I learned a lot from myself. <laughs> I think we've all run into some absolutely fabulous, very deep, very odd collections in libraries where clearly someone learned a lot. Anyway. This is my point. But That's right. I mean, it, it suited them perfectly. <laughs> well, Tamara King, thank you so, so, so much. I, thank you. Even... even if you weren't a fabulous alumni of our program, I would say that you, you really are one of the, one of the best community librarians and librarians out Aww. there. Period. Um, that means so much. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's it takes. What I take away from this is, um, you know, the idea of pivoting, doing your homework, and then don't waffle. And the way I love how that really connects to if we believe this and this is truly our value and our identity. And this is where we're going. And we're, we've hopefully done our homework and work with our community so they understand where we're coming from or behind us. And so I think that, that and I, I take your point about the difference between marketing and public relations, that this isn't, we're not coming up with great ideas to go sell to people. We're in the communities but to find out. But it's important too. Marketing's well, but, important too. <laughs> it is, but we're, Don't but, let Philip Higgins hear me say that because he'll come looking for me. So. But it starts with knowing what the communities need, right? So yes. That, and that's and yes, marketing's. But it's not just we think it's fun. Let's go market it and hope it'll fix. Because I think even marketers will tell you that's not the right way to do this. Mm -hmm. No. So, anyway, thank you so much. This was thank absolutely you. fabulous. We I really appreciate it. It was fun. We thank finally worked so it much. out. Yes. <laughs> yes.